Hey, you, with a rhinestone dog collar. Between us dogs, I just convinced my human to upgrade to a new home with a 1,200-square-foot bathroom. I think she called it a yard. With Wells Fargo's 3% down mortgage option, my human realized a new home was within reach, and I only gave her puppy eyes once. Get your human to talk to a mortgage consultant or learn more at wellsfargo.com slash woof. Wells Fargo Home Mortgage. Down payments as low as 3% on a fixed-rate loan require mortgage insurance. Ask a home mortgage consultant about loan requirements. Wells Fargo Home Mortgage is a division of Wells Fargo Bank N.A. Equal housing lender. NMLS ID 399801. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio Show. My guest for this morning is Dina Merriam. She is a partner and vice chairman of the Ruder Finn Company and the founder of Global Peace Initiative of Women. GPIW has been working on programs in Israel, Palestine, Iraq, Sudan, Afghanistan, and Cambodia. GPIW in partnership with the United Nations, also developed a global leadership program for young community leaders. For over 35 years, Dina has been a student of Para Mahatsha Yogananda and a practitioner of the Kriya Yoga Meditation. She is also a longtime student of the great texts of the Vedic tradition. In 2014, Dina was honored as a recipient of the Niwa no Peace Prize by the Niwano Peace Foundation in Japan for her years of commitment to interfaith dialogue. Dina and I will be having a conversation about her spiritual memoir, My Journey Through Time, Life, Death, and Rebirth. It is a story of how the events and people she has encountered in her life serve to awaken memories of past birth and help her to understand her current life and provide spiritual direction and guidance. Good morning, Dana. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing this morning? Wonderful. Good morning, and it's a pleasure to be here. It is a pleasure to have you on the air with me. My Journey Through Time is so elegantly put together. It is a very powerful and compelling book. The energy I receive from it is peace and mindfulness. So congratulations for its release. Thank you. What's beautiful about the book is that it's a long resume of you in a very personal way, and yet there's a certain amount of peaceful confidence with it. Well, it is true. It is, it is the story of how um, um, my work evolved and how it, in the process of that, many memories came back from the past. Mm-hmm. But I'd like to say that my story is everybody's story because everybody has had similar um, uh, past experiences that contribute mm-hmm. to who they are today. The only difference is they, they were drawn up from my memory, whereas for many people, they still remain submerged. And so I think if everybody could realize the diversity of where they've been and what they've done, they've been rich, they've been poor, they've been this, they've been that, it would, it would give a sense of completion that we've, we've, we've been so many places and done so many things. And we shouldn't narrow our identity just to this one life. It's scary in a way, but... It's exciting at the same time because it's sort of like knowing the inner you. I've always believed that we live two lives, our public life and our personal life. Things that people don't know, our anxiety, our excitement, our nervousness, and yet we have this public life where we know how to dance our life around people and situations. 
I mean, we, 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 very few people get to know our private lives and it's, mm-hmm. and actually it was with some trepidation that I, I revealed so much <laughs> because, um, you know, I, I work in two worlds and of course in the spiritual world, um, it was very easy to talk about these things, but I also mm-hmm. support myself through a professional life and there it was much more difficult. I, I tend to keep these two worlds apart, um, although even that is changing now, you know, there's a curiosity, I think, all around. That's uh, true. And people are inquiring about death in a new way, which I think is, I think it's the last frontier. Death is the last frontier, which, mm-hmm. which hopefully we'll all cross soon in terms of understanding that it's not an end. It's just another chapter. That's correct. What's fascinating is that corporations, businesses are doing this sort of nice spirituality tango dance because the entire energy of the world is shifting from that perspective. That's so right. that's the beauty of it. That's the hope. That's right. the, the greatest sign of hope. <laughs> right. I think so. I think there's an increase of consciousness. Let us start by getting to know you a little bit better because we are the sum total of who we are growing up as a child and so forth. So can you give us a quick walkthrough of your life from childhood to the present moment? Well, I was, I was uh, born into a very secular Jewish family. It was very involved in the arts and it was a business family. And I always had a, um, um, a spiritual nature. You know, I was always more reflective in nature and so developed an interior life very young, which I kept to myself. And so I was um, something of a, a loner as a child, uh, uh, you know, kind of a, one of those dreamy childs who loved poetry mm-hmm. and sitting out in nature. Um, and, I, and I had glimpses of, of a previous birth, but I, I didn't understand them. And I, I, I've seen this with my own children. When they're very young, they carry with them traits from the past. And so you can get a sense of where they've come from. And I, and I saw that in myself. Um, but, and some of these traits stayed with me as I, as I um, reached teenage years and began a serious inquiry uh, into spirituality and when I got to college and it was early 70s when there was a lot of that going on here in this country you know the influx of mm-hmm. teachers from the east from India um, and began reading and um, it was it began a serious practice of meditation when I was about 20 and after about 10 years of doing that um, things began to happen to me and um, you know, at first, um, I, you know, I just took them and, you know, I had gotten divorced. I was raising my sons. I had to work in my family business. I had to keep a very, I had to keep myself grounded in life in order to keep it all together. And yet I began having these experiences, these past life recalls that were awakening emotions in me mm-hmm. because it was like being in the middle of a movie. And I would, you know, I would remember, you know, scenes and uh, um, it was it was a real challenge to keep to be able to keep that door open because I didn't want to close it down and still maintain my, uh, my ability to function in the world, raising my kids, attending to their problems. And they were now you know in their early teens, and you know keeping my job and all of that. Um, but but it it got easier as, as time went on. Do you have anyone else in your family that sort of have those? traits like you were talking about when you're growing up you felt a little different right you enjoy being by yourself in the way i would think moments of contemplation it's a different feeling the reason why i said that because i'm sort of like that in a way like i'd rather be by myself than being around tons of people 
Um, my, my father had an artistic nature. He, he went into the mm-hmm. business world, but at heart he was an artist. And so he understood this quality about me, but he was an agnostic. And so the spiritual life, when, when I tried to kind of pull him along, so when I read one at the age of 20, my, my guru's book, Autobiography of a Yogi, mm-hmm. uh, by Paramahansa Yogananda, my guru had already passed, but he left a, a lot of writings. My father tried to read it too, but he couldn't, he, he couldn't get it. It's like, well, how does he know? You know, how does he, he was very uh, uh, questioning and, and unwilling to accept anything beyond the physical world. So while we had a deep connection, there was, there was a, always a, a wall there, a limit, what I can discuss with him. You I never discussed with yeah. anybody in my family these past life recalls. As a matter of fact, one of the hardest things, I had a few spiritual friends that I talked a little bit to, but basically I really mm-hmm. couldn't speak to anybody about it because, you know, what can I say? <laughs> I find kinda... myself trapped in Nazi Germany, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> what can you say? <laughs> It's a strictly as a generational and timely issue as well, depending on where you live. Of course, you are in the United States. Then, say, perhaps in right. Asia, where it's a little bit more acceptable, Accepted. I guess. Oh, it's, yeah, you could talk yeah, about yeah. anything, you know. Right. I mean, the whole right. range of spiritual experiences are very well accepted. Mm-hmm. In, in the West, it's a very limited, you know, I mean, people don't value experience. Mm-hmm. It's doctrine. Doctrine over experience, whereas in the East, it's experience right. over doctrine. Never mind the doctrine. <laughs> What's your experience? <laughs> what I like in reading your book is that you mentioned about the fact that cultures or the two philosophies approach to spirituality and religion are the same in a way, because you're talking about the standard religion in terms of you have nothing but one life that is right now. In all actuality, that's, right. that's correct. And then at the same time, you have this wonderful mosaic. It's an evolution over a period of time. And that's, that's Eastern philosophy where it's a process of refinement. So please tell us a little bit more about that. Well, the question is your identity. Do you identify with mm-hmm. the personality or with the, the soul, the, the essence of who you are? Mm-hmm. Now, the personality, you know, with all your traits and your likes and your dislikes and your, you know, affinities for this person and that person and your talents, um, that, that, you know, your, my, my, my experience as Dina is, is, is a one-shot deal, you know. I'm Dina in this life. But when I die, I won't, be, I won't be Dina anymore. I'll have the memory of Dina, but I'll be moving on to somebody else. And so through meditation, through the process of any kind of spiritual practice, whatever it is, um, you begin to identify with the totality and not just with the one little narrow, this being that appears for 70, 80 years, 90 years maybe, is just one little speck in a whole mm-hmm. long history. Uh, and your, so your identity shifts, and you begin to identify with all the experiences that you had. And at the end of the book, I say, oh, well, I was this one, and I was that one, and I was that <laughs> one. So who am I, really? All right. of or none right. of them? Right, right. So true. How did your family react when you pursue spirituality? My family found it very threatening, um, actually, mm-hmm. because even though they were they were um, secular, uh, to them, yeah. if you know, if you want to, if you have a spiritual nature, follow the tradition you were born in. You know, become an Orthodox Jewish person mm-hmm. and ident- you right. know, follow the Sabbath and do all those things. Right. And that wasn't my calling at all. And when I began to meditate, it wasn't mainstream like it is today. So my mother thought I was joining a cult or I'd go into, you know, I'd go into a trance and, and fall out of the window. 
you know, it was still a very, we talk about meditation at that time, it was still considered as very strange, esoteric, and we know we don't know what this is going to do to her. Of right. course, now, you know, you have corporate CEOs meditating and, and, and trying to get their, <laughs> their um, staff to meditate. It's a very, right, very different. Right. And so that's wonderful. We see how, how, um, how things have changed in the last 20 years, 30 years. So true. Your first experience of meditation, do you experience that out-of-body experience, so to speak? What happens to me, and, and when people come to me and they say, well, if I start to meditate, will I have past life recall? And I say mm-hmm. to them, everybody has a different experience. Some people have out-of-the-body experiences, which, which is not something that I experience very often. Some people see light. Some people go into different realms. What happens to me is these memories emerge. It's like I go into meditation and suddenly I'm remembering things from way in the past. Uh, so it's, it's, it puts me into a, a kind of like a, you know, it flings open that curtain. So I think everybody has a, there's no one experience that meditation brings. Some people just feel peaceful and calm. And that's kind of the first step, you know. And for many, many years, that's what it was for me. You just enter this very calm and peaceful state. You just put aside the worries that you're dealing with. And then you come out of it, and you're in a much better position to deal with life's challenges because you've, you've put things aside for a while, and you have clarity of mind. I think those are the first results of meditation. And then other things come. And, and for me, it's been this past life recall rather than out-of-body experiences, or I've had, I've had some of those as well. Very interesting. The reason why I asked that question is because you had brought up to the fact that your mom was concerned about you falling off <laughs> as she meditated. <laughs> right, right, right. When I was young, we have a group of us that we were sort of Buddhist novice, so to speak. So we spend time mm-hmm. meditating with the monk, and we actually have a Bodhi tree at the temple. So it's really cool in Malaysia. Huh? What was interesting was they say some people you can't let yourself go kind of thing. And so I'm one of those yeah. guys. But then at the same time, I have a friend that like totally like he's off in La La Land. I know people like that. Yeah. Yeah. And the monk had to wake him up because it's like, if you go too far out, I guess you can't come back. And just imagine if somebody were to destroy your body, technically speaking, you got nothing to come back to. And that sort of scared well, think, me in a way. You need it. I think having a guide is very important. I mean, people learn meditation from somebody. I mean, it's not like, right. you know, I don't believe you could just pick it up on the Internet. There are <laughs> guides. And I think that guides, I mean, there are definitely ways where you can get um, – off balance mentally, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you can you know you can just get, go off into the deep end. You know, like I, I'm very cautious about this whole thing of past life recall because there are people who come and say, yeah. "Oh, well, I was Mary Queen of Scots," but there are hundreds of people who say <laughs> they were Mary. So, so I I actually in the beginning was something like a detective and was checking out things that I had seen. You know, uh, I, right. I saw things that I didn't know and I would check out to see if those places were real, if that university really existed, if this situation. I even went, um, when I was in this detective stage, of going to a, a city in Europe, Prague it was, where I had seen my, my um, something and found the place that I had seen. So I, I didn't just accept everything automatically. I had to verify it because I'm aware that, you know, these things, the mind can be tricky. 
the right. mind can play lots of games with you. You brought up a very interesting thing also because you were trying to validate what you have thought about that came into mind from that perspective. So that brings me to karma. You talk a lot about karma. What karma. is karma? Yeah. So I would, I, I, karma is the law of cause and effect. Every action has a reaction. I mean, this is a law of physics. We know this in the, in the physical world that every action has a reaction. It works in the world of thought as well. Uh, everything we think or do has some return to it. It may not show up in the immediate future. It may show up further down the road. Um, but what was so interesting to me about my, when I put it all together, and that's the reason I started recording these memories, is I wanted to understand how this law of cause and effect works and how it m- moves, how it helps determine your future. And, of course, after, after going through this process of seeing how one life how one life leads to the next. It was a, a natural, you know, I, so initially I saw that my previous birth had been in Russia, and I said to myself, why Russia? Why was I born there? Of course, then I looked back at my early life and realized my love for Russian ballet and my love for Russian literature and how immersed I was in Russian culture as a child. But I still didn't understand why. And then I had to go back to the previous life Mm-hmm. to see how I had met somebody from Russia and fallen in love with someone from Russia, but never followed him there and saw mm-hmm. the reason that I was subject. So, And then I went back several lives and saw how one led to another, led to another. And I was just, it was mind-blowing, really, to see this incredible pattern that developed, how we actually unconsciously determine our future. Right. You know what ha- you know what, what, it all makes sense when you step look back look over and see wow you know that's how, why that whole thing took place and th- there came a point when I I began to really think about the future what do I want to create for myself and this is you know where the teachings come in and how to live more mindfully and consciously so that we consciously create our future not unconsciously you know just you mm-hmm. know acting and thinking without knowing without realizing the impact it's going to have and the return that we're going to bring to ourselves. So true. So karma, often it works, it comes back to us when the conditions are right. You know, so, I mean, I have seen, I have seen it happen in one lifetime. I had a friend, a couple friend, I was married, still married at the time, and the, the wife, who was my dearest friend, ran off with her husband's best friend and he was devastated. 20 years later, she married this best friend. And 20 years later, that man ran off with her best friend. And she was devastated. And she said, oh, my God, now I see what I did to my first husband. The Mm -hmm. first that I caused him. So I thought to myself, that is a rare example of seeing karma come back within a span of 20 years. Most often, it happens way into the future. And you say, well, why did this happen to me? Because you can't remember the cause. Right. Right. But when you when you can see the cause, you say, aha, <laughs> okay, <laughs> I did that, and now it's being done to me. So in a way, that's paying off your karmic debt. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. You're paying off your karmic debt. Everything has to even itself out in the end. And, and you know, there's individual karma, and there's collective karma, and there's national mm-hmm. karma, you know, and... and it, it has to work itself out. I mean, nothing just kind of flies off into space and doesn't return. Every ball you throw up comes back down. 
<laughs> what you're talking about is strictly in the sense that it don't have to be in this lifetime because it's a sum total of technically our soul existence from lifetimes to lifetime. And that's how the debts have been paid or accumulated in, right. in some ways. Right. Very interesting. The other important thing to, to that was a great teaching for me is to realize that it's not a punishment, it's mm-hmm. a teaching. So this, this law that's an effect, a cause and effect, it's not to punish us. It's mm-hmm. to help us awaken to, to, just like we have to learn the physical laws, you learn that if you hit yourself, you're going to hurt yourself. If you bump into a door, you're going to get hurt. A child learns these physical laws, and we have to learn the spiritual laws as well so that mm-hmm. we can um, function better. So true. That's very, very true. By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on Apple's iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, and TuneIn Radio. I'm Johnny Tan, your host, and my guest for this morning is Dina Merriam. She is a partner and vice chairman of the Ruder Finn Company and the founder of Global Peace Initiative of Women. For over 35 years, Dina has been a student of Paramahansa Yogananda and the practitioner of Kriya Yoga Meditation. She's also a longtime student of the great texts of the Vedic tradition. We're having a conversation about her spiritual memoir, My Journey Through Time, Life, Death, and Rebirth. It is a story of how the events and people she has encountered in her life serve to awaken memories of path rebirth and help her to understand her current life and provide spiritual directions and guidance. Dina, why did you decide to write My Journey Through Time? Well, initially, you know, I sat with these memories for for 20 years. You know, I kept recalling, going back further and further in time. And I, you know, pretty much kept it to myself. I would say one or two things to to people I was close to, friends or people I work with. But uh, at some point, I decided to write it down so I could really see the patterns that flow. And um, and I and I also wanted to um, you know see see if if what the whether there was a lesson for other people whether something could be gained by reading this story and when it was all done I shared it with a colleague a work colleague who was uh, interested in the spiritual path but not really undertaking any practice. And she was, but she was a, such a great thinker and writer, very creative. I, she had just been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And I shared the book with her. And she was so moved and told me how much it had helped her. And she subsequently died. Um, and it gave me, it really inspired me that, that, that sharing my memories could help her deal with death. And so because she, she came to see that it was not an end, you know, mm-hmm. she was agnostic and said, you know, God, like in a few weeks or months, it actually turned out to be two years, it's over for me, you know? Yeah. And, and then she came to see, no, it's not over. Mm-hmm. And she began to think about, aha, uh-huh, maybe, maybe she had done this in the past, and maybe she had done this in the past. So it changed her whole world view. And then I shared it with another friend who had the same experience. So I said to myself, okay, I think there are people out there who – would gain something and learn something from sh- this sharing of my own experiences. And that's when I decided to publish it. Fantastic. I'm so glad you brought up about the fact of death and rebirth. One of the many things that I've experienced in my life was the opportunity to be right there with my mom when she transited this world. 
it was the most peaceful experience that I have encountered. Everyone else was crying around us. I was on my knees, kissing her head and stroking her hair and whispering in her ears and telling her that it's okay to move on. I had this sort of it's a unique feeling. I, that's the only thing I could say. I was in a bubble with her. And besides that, my mom has always been very pragmatic about life. She has always been prepared for death. I'm originally from Malaysia, so whenever she comes over to live with me in the United States for about five, six months or so, she has this sort of a cynical way of looking at things. She has a death clothes with her. And she would tell me, okay, if anything happened to me, make sure that I have this clothes to wear. All right? And I was like, you're kidding me, right? <laughs> but anyway, I wanted to share that with you because in reading what you have written about life, death, and so forth, there's no feeling of anxiety, I guess, for the lack of a better term. You know, that's that's a great blessing that you can be, you could be with your mother when she passed. I think that's a um, such an important time that one be in the right environment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I you know, not not in the hospital with tubes and you know, alone, but to be yeah. in a very loving, a loving and, and safe environment so that one can go through the transition um, peacefully. Uh, and and I I uh, remember my past death, and it's, there's a chapter in the book about that. Mm-hmm. And when that memory came back to me. It really took away any fear of death. Yeah, of course we have attachments, you know, to our children and to to whatever. And you know, you have to feel the time is right. You know, it's like right. You want the apple to fall from the tree when it's ripe, but not being picked too soon. <laughs> but um, but I, but to know that you just um, you know, most often it's it's um, a, a very beautiful experience if you've you know if you unless you've you know done horrible things in your life and you've yeah, murdered yeah, people yeah. and whatever whatever you right. know it's 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 not something to be um afraid of and i think that that another reason i decided to come out with this book now is that there's there's a lot of looking at death you know we had that mm-hmm. that the book by the, the surgeon who was very much of a disbeliever until he himself had a near-death experience and experienced going into the light and then came back I, I can't remember what the name of the book was, something about heaven. But, um, you know, now there are these death cafes on the on the Internet where people just talk about it. <laughs> right, and It's right. been a taboo subject, and mm-hmm, I think that, mm-hmm. that science, physicists are now discovering other dimensions, and this may be the next frontier that we science comes to see that we just move into another dimension of being. That's true. You know, so and true. so... So we don't, you know, I think that that it's very important now for us to kind of uh, understand that, have a new approach and a new understanding of what this transition is. So true. My personal experience is that, I mean, I think we all technically is afraid of death to a certain point. But for my situation is that being there with my mom by her bedside, the whole experience after the fact, not that I'm looking for death, (laughs) but I... I'm not afraid of it anymore. You're right when you said right. that. It was yeah, like yeah. a weird feeling. That's a sort of like a flip. I don't know how to explain, but it's, it's sort of like that peaceful confidence, again, that I like to use about your book and about your experience. You know, I think we all want to feel that, that our work is complete, that we've done what we mm-hmm. needed to do, and that um, our loved ones can manage on their own. You know, And that's, that's why I say the timing is right. And I think in, you know, in earlier times, maybe that was a, a 
you know, we, 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 we accepted death as just, you know, things are done. I've completed what I needed to do and <laughs> my children are grown up and are fine, blah, blah, blah. So I, I think that um, being able to understand and being in the presence of, of someone who's, and there are people, of course, who have beautiful deaths, you know, right. where you, people right. just feel so, there's so much love in the room. I've, I've heard, had people recount that to me, that they were with a friend who was passing and there was just so much love in the room. Right, and right, that, and right, that's a blessing. Right, and that's a, it's right, like being present right. at a birth. You know, that's a very joyful thing, being present at a birth. Um, but I've heard that that um, when great great teachers pass over, there's a great celebration in 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 the uh, in the subtle world in that world. <laughs> so they're <laughs> celebrating. We're mourning. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. We talk about life, death, and rebirth, and obviously the big word is reincarnation. Right. So yeah, yeah. this is interesting. Being from Asia, you believe in reincarnation. My first exposure about the Jewish concept in believing in reincarnation, because I thought it's always been an Eastern thing. Years ago, I read a book, God is a Verb by Rabbi David Cooper. And mm-hmm. the Jewish believes in reincarnation as well from that perspective. You know, it's true that in the, in the earlier Jewish and Christian traditions, reincarnation was accepted. Um, it, but it got it got repressed, uh, you know, by the institutions because mm-hmm. they felt if if people you know only had one life, well, they'd work harder to get saved, and so it kind of got pushed into the more mystical traditions. But I saw a statistic by the Pew Forum, um, uh, which does surveys, that mm-hmm. 25% of American Christians, and it's probably more, uh, now believe in reincarnation and rebirth. And I've done some radio shows with interviews with um, question and answer, and people right. from all over the country were calling in with their own experiences, saying, "Could this mm-hmm. be a reincarnation? A memory? Could this be right. real?" Mm-hmm. And so I think that at some point in your life, most people have some inkling of this is not the first time around. I think it will be more and more accepted. <laughs> it's interesting because. In your dreams, you don't have to be in a meditative state, I think, because even in your dreams, unless you're dreaming about something that happened yesterday or a year ago or whatnot, yeah. and if you are into this elaborate dream and you way off in a tangent land somewhere, there's a very strong possibility that might be a past life kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah, you know, it started for me with a dream. Mm-hmm. I, I mm-hmm. moved into a house, and as soon as I moved in, I began having dreams of another house. There was something about that house that triggered it for me. And I talk about mm-hmm. that in the book. And mm-hmm. for years, I dreamt about this house, and I'd always wake with a sense of longing. And then, of course, I began to remember where that house was. Um, and, and so I think dreams, um, you know, sometimes they're muddled, they're not clear, because uh, sometimes, some dreams have a lot of clarity. There are those. But sometimes things just come up from a subconscious. It could be from the past. Um, and, and we get a sense of that, but we can't, we can't quite grasp the story. You know, right. what, what, was my, what was that trying to tell me? You know, there's the unconscious mind and the conscious mind. And, and the conscious mind has to stay very focused on what we have to do in the here and now. And the unconscious holds all that other stuff and things kind of sip, you know, mm-hmm. seep through. But, you know, if too much comes through, it could be, it comes through, it could be confusing. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. if you're not able to handle it. 
So true. What was the most surprising past life recollection? There were so many. <laughs> I think I was surprised <laughs> by everything that, I mean, I was surprised and I wasn't, but there were many, many things um, that surprised me, you know, just um, being, finding myself in in Petersburg at the turn of the 20th century, say in Russia, finding myself in the, in the pre-Civil War American South, and then in Africa. I mean, there were so many things that just surprised me. And I, I, um, I mean, when I took a closer look, it all made sense. Uh, but but um, I just I just didn't expect the diversity of experiences that I would be poor, rich, you know, different cultures. That that there would be so many different contexts and experiences. I just that just surprised me. Really surprised me. In one of your stories. To talk about the loss of your son to slavery, and that sort of explain yeah. why you were born in the South. Yeah, that must be extremely painful in a way, I guess, and yet there's so much depth to it. You know, I mean, part of the the challenge in in bringing these things up is that you relive them, and mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so when I saw my previous birth in Russia and I was sent out of the country as a 14 year old girl. My parents never left. I was very attached to my mother. I never saw her again. I experienced again the death. I, I was like a 14-year-old girl again experiencing that separation from my mother. And then I saw myself in the American South and, and witnessed the, the, the um, lynching of, a, right. of a, an mm-hmm. African boy. And, and I again experienced the horror mm-hmm. of that. And I said to myself, why was I born in, the America, in, a, in a plantation? And then I went back further and saw myself in Africa with this beloved son in a slave raid being captured. I was, of course, killed at that time. Mm-hmm. And, and I realized that's what drew me to America in search of that son. And so I saw that love transcends one life mm-hmm. and that we carry our love from, for individuals from life to life. And we meet people again in different circumstances, and of course we don't recognize them, but something inside knows that this person is very dear to us. You know, um, you know, an immediate attraction is an indication of something. And one of the most important lessons from this is the power of love. Love leads us to the ones that we lose again and again, and that was very comforting for me to to realize that. Um, we find, and I've recognized a number of people in my life from earlier mm-hmm. times. And of course, there are a lot of people that I can't identify. And, I, and so it's, the story is not over. The story didn't end with that book. It's an ongoing, <laughs> ongoing story. More and more continues to come up, yeah. and I'm, I'm working on a sequel. But um, that that um, was very traumatic, knowing that that son was taken and put on a slave boat all alone. And sent off to to uh, work on a plantation. Yeah, and and I have to tell you an experience. You know, in my current life, I do a lot of uh, peace work. Right. Mm-hmm. And one of my uh, experiences was, at, you know, going to Charleston, South Carolina, last year, to do a dialogue on racial healing. And one of the young black men invited us to a ceremony that they were doing, the annual ceremony. To um, to give remembrance for the slave for the Africans who died in the journey over, 
and he invited us to participate. And as I was standing there throwing flowers into the ocean, suddenly the image of that son came up to me. And it was like I could, I could do a ceremony for him that I had never been able to do. And later, one of the, uh, the people in our, in our delegation, it was a young white man, said, you know, that was very personal uh, to the African-American community. I don't think we should have been there. We didn't belong there. And I said, I disagree. I said, of course, he, he didn't know I had these memories. I said, that was very right. meaningful for me. It, made, it completed something for me. And um, so these are, these are the ways that we get to bring our past into our present uh, and, and the reason why I caution people about digging too much is we, are, we discover these you know, painful experiences. Of course, there are many joyful experiences, loved right. ones that we had and teachers. But, you know, we've all had, just like we all have painful experiences in this life, each life brings its pain and its joy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You have to be prepared for that when you go digging. Very interesting. Now, is yeah. there a pattern a consistency that weaves together one's various lives, or is it more just of an arbitrary process, so to speak? A little snapshot of here, a little snapshot of that. I like to think that there is a process of soul refinement. There is totally a process of soul refinement and also themes. Um, so I found myself, you know, I started working on this, on this interfaith and peace work, mm-hmm really by accident. It wasn't that I came in and said, oh, this is what I want to do with my life. It just, I backed into it, so to speak. And when I looked back, I saw that I had, this theme had run through my life for centuries now. In many, many situations, when I was in Japan, trying to create peace between the you know, warring uh, clans, and then I had a birth in India when, in, in trying to create dialogue between the Muslims and Hindus. So it was a theme that has woven through many, many lives for me. Also, the women's theme has been a constant one for me in seeking to uh, my own confidence in myself as a woman and the ability to, uh, um, for women to come forward and take leadership. That's been a theme that's been with me for many lifetimes. So in this life, I've been able to bring those two themes to get, together in, in a much more conscious and refined way, I would say. I agree. That's true. To kind of put it in a simple context. In reading your book, this is what I get. It's like, oh, I didn't realize this is my natural tendency of like have that take charge attitude. That means at some point in time, in past lives, you were a leader, that sort of a natural born leader. Now, you may have to learn certain skills in this lifetime because it's in today's world, there's certain techniques and one and so forth, but there's certain natural born tendencies that you have, or you have this inclination about you can see a certain, for lack of a better term, creative people that all of a sudden can see colors in a different way. That means that is something from a previous life, so to speak, isn't it? Yeah, I think if, if, if we identify skills within ourselves, skills mm-hmm. and passions, we right. have to know that th- those have been with us for a while now. We've been honing those skills for a while. I, I had a, um, a couple of friends, and they were the most ideal couple I knew. And I said to them once, that they, I told them that you are the only couple I know, that it's so much in harmony, your interest in everything. And they said to me, we've been working on this for many lives. <laughs> this is not the result <laughs> of one time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We and, finally but got it beauty. right. That is beauty, though, because you can feel that energy. Even when right now, when you were just sharing that 
thought with me, there's that peacefulness of like, mm-hmm, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? It's a very, yeah, it's sort yeah. of a different feeling. It's amazing. Yeah. One of the, one of the um, things I learned mm-hmm. is to be more reflective and to, to, to look at your life and really mm-hmm. look at your, um, kind of reflect inside and, and um, try to understand, you know, where your yearnings come from, what yeah. it is you, need, you want to do, you need to do, just to be, have a more mindful life, I would say, more attentive. So true. You're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on Apple's iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, and TuneIn Radio. My guest is Dana Merriam. She is a partner and vice chairman of the Rudafin Company and the founder of Global Peace Initiative of Women. For over 35 years, Dana has been a student of Paramahansa Yogananda and the practitioner of Kriya yoga meditation. She is also a longtime student of the great tech of the Vedic tradition. We're having a conversation about her spiritual memoir, My Journey Through Time, Life, Death, and Rebirth. I'm your host, Johnny Tan. Dina, have you encountered any other people that have experienced something like you do? I've, I've experienced um, a number of people who have said to me, um, I know I've had a life in China, or I know I've done mm-hmm. this, and I know I've done that. Um, but they haven't shared with me that they are aware of real details, you know. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I've had glimpses of other births as well, but I haven't. These are the ones. The ones I share are the ones where I, I get a full movie. I get a full narrative. You yeah. know, there's a story to tell. And sometimes there are quite a few people who have, you know, glimpses. I know I was there. I know I. You know, I remember, you know, I was a Buddhist monk here or there and blah, blah, blah. They know, they know certain things. But um, I think what's unusual is to get the full narrative, you know, so it's a whole story. Right. You know, with a beginning and an end. <laughs> right. So true. So the million dollar question is, what life lessons have you learned from past lives? Well, I think I think the most important lesson is as I was as I was uh, you know recording all this, I suddenly dawned on me um, that if all of these past uh, causes have led to my conditions today, in other words, what I what I'm experiencing today is a result of the past, then it must be true that what I'm doing today is going to is going to shape my future. Right. And so, you know, what we should care about our future, right? I mean, we're going to find mm-hmm. ourselves there. So, you know, so how can I consciously create the future that I want for myself? I mean, I think, you know, many of the, many of the inspirational teachers talk about your immediate future. Create the life you want. What is it you want to achieve in this life? I'm thinking more about our future post-death. Mm-hmm. Because we're going to be conscious then, and and we're going to be living with the results of what we do in this life. So, um, how can we do that? And I think that's the million dollar question. What does that mean to shape your future? I think in, um, you know, in in terms of our life's work, you know, we accomplish, we set certain goals for ourselves that we want to accomplish in this life, and then you come to a point in life where, well, what what more do I want to do? You know, what couldn't I do in this life? that I still have a desire to do. I remember asking my father once. He had achieved mm-hmm. great success in the business world, but he'd always wanted to be an artist, and he, he couldn't achieve that. I think that was from his past. And I said mm-hmm. to him, what would you like to do if you got another chance around? 
And he said, oh, I'd love to be a great musician. I would love to just to <laughs> absorb myself. And I said, oh, well, you know, kind of set that desire for yourself. If that's what you want, <laughs> right. you can create right. the causes for that to manifest. Right, right. That's interesting. Very, very interesting. What happened in between births? I think the time between births is a time of rest and recovery. Mm-hmm. And um, we, we go through our, the life that we've just left. Um, you know, we, we try to uh, come to terms and make peace with all this, whatever is left undone. And then we set the blueprint for the future. And the stay in that world, I mean, that's why people call it heaven, because, yes, it's like a heaven world. I mean, you know, it's a rest world. It's a, it's a, there are many, many different uh, manifestations of this. It could be very beautiful. It could be troubled if you're a troubled person, depending on what you carry with you. Um, but it's, it's um, you know, when people envision, you know, in the Judeo-Christian tradition of going to heaven, well, yes, right. that's true, but it's not the end. You don't, you don't stay there. <laughs> mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And you, you can stay there for 10 years, earth time, 50 mm-hmm. years, earth time. It, there's no one... Uh, equation for how long one rests in that time of, of you see people that you know loved ones who have not yet come back or so I think that that it's a it's a time of um, bringing to completion one life and seeding the next. That's very interesting. Very very interesting. How can reading this book contribute to the reader's journey? Well, even if, if um, wasn't, one has no recollection of any past, I think one can um, more live more mindfully, knowing mm-hmm. that how you are today is going to shape even your, even your future in this life. We, we, it, nothing is imposed on us by some arbitrary judge. We are in charge of our, we are the, 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 the captains of our ship, so to speak. We shape our future just like we have shaped our, our present. So I think just being more mindful of how one carries on in life, one's relationships, one's relationship to work, one's relationship to the earth. I mean, here we are making a mess of the earth. Well, it's not just our children are going to come back and have to deal with that, or our children or grandchildren. We are going to come yeah. back and have to deal with that. So yeah. more conscious in every aspect of life, and then um, developing a relationship with what will come after, with death, and, and trying to let go of the fear. In your personal journey, how has all these past life memories helped you in sort of building your relationships with yourself first and then with others around you? Well, the other, the other very important thing that I, that I forgot to mention is that what I, mm-hmm. when I've seen teachers and guides from the past who helped steer me onto a particular course in the past, save me from death in some instances, I realized that love transcends death and rebirth and that those relationships, those guides don't leave us. We all have guides from the past. We all have guides who try to give us subtle hints and it's to pay attention to that and and it's the power of love. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's I think helped me be more um, conscious of not leaving any relationship, of of trying to be as loving as I can in every relationship. You know, even with say you have a difficult relationship with a parent or a child or a partner, 
mm-hmm. to try to to be as loving as you can in that relationship so that you don't have undone things left, you know, things that have not been, um, um, you know, uh, brought to completion. And you want to leave with as much love as you can because that love also brings a return. You know, the greatest power in this universe is love, and that was one of the things I realized through this recall, is that mm-hmm. love follows us from one birth to the next, into the uh, world in between lives, and is the most powerful thing in terms of helping us uh, continue along our upward journey. What I gather is, to be human, obviously, we, uh, I wouldn't say governed by our emotions, we're affected by emotions. And so there's moments in times that we're angry or uh, rub off the wrong way. But ultimately, when we look at situations and people through the lens of love, there's something innate that happens within us that sort of flows out. And that's the true you, the true soul speaking to you. That's right. That's right. That, that, that's one of the benefits of meditation or any kind of interiorization prayer mm-hmm. is that, mm-hmm. is that it, it silences the mind, which we so identify as saying this is us, um, but then it gets you in touch with, it, with the deeper essence, and that mm-hmm. essence is one of a, a loving, peaceful presence, and that's who we truly are. Wonderful. Where can someone go to buy your book, get more information about you? It's, um, it's uh, on Amazon. And um, they can go to my website, which is the Global Peace Initiative of Women, GPIW.org. Or they can look on Facebook, both for the GPIW or uh, Dina Miriam. Uh, uh, we have an active Facebook page, which recounts a lot of the dialogues and peace work that we continue to do around the world and here in the U.S. with a, with a new focus now on the U.S. A lot of it is environmental work. Um, uh, but, there, but we do try to bring the spiritual perspective to this peace work and environmental work. But the book is on Amazon. It's on Kindle, and, and you can order it on Amazon. Just type in my Wonderful. name or Journey Through Time. If you do Journey Through Time, Dina Miriam, the book will come up on Amazon. Wonderful. What advice do you have for people who still are on the fans about reincarnation? I would say it doesn't really matter because... You know, to, to me, it's not about belief, it's about experience. And if you haven't had the experience, okay, you have, you know, so why should you believe that? You know, I think the most important thing is um, looking at one's life, how to live one life, one's life. You can live, live your life as if you are creating a future life for yourself, even if you don't believe you have one, uh, because that will, that will guide you in a very positive direction to bring out your higher qualities and to work through some of your, your challenges, you know, your own personal challenges, your challenges with other people. Um, uh, the law of karma, cause and effect, operates on the physical plane. It's a law of physics, and it operates on the psychological plane and the spiritual plane. So true. The law of cause now, and effect, yeah. When you talk about the laws of cause and effect, I guess the next question would be, at what point is there a limited amount of death and rebirth and death and rebirth does one go through and voila you reach the i guess the end zone well i think there comes a point where where you are have such spiritual understanding and so awake and of course there's there's a bodhisattva who always wants to come back to help 
Um, mm-hmm. There are those who say, as long as there's suffering in this world, I'm coming back to help in whatever way I can. I can. And then there are those who say, well, I think I want to enjoy the heaven realms and not come back. <laughs> when they have worked through the, all the, the karma that they've created, now I have to be careful not to create new karma. We're working yeah. at old karma, but at the same time we're creating new karma. When that's all been neutralized, you have a choice to stay right. and enjoy the heaven world or to come back and help this is a very interesting question. Say, for example, you were born in this lifetime, like you were talking about, into a family settings that it's fairly good. How about the people that are born without that sort of a silver spoon or without that sort of caring family? And I guess the question would be, why me? Why now? And what the heck am I doing here? I think the only way you can understand why me and why now, is to understand that there's some past cause for the current situation, something mm-hmm. in the past. And, you know, our soul chooses, you know, if, if we have karma we work out, our soul chooses in what way to work it out. But I think um, the way to, to, to deal with a difficult situation, however, a physical situation, a, a financial situation, is to see what, teaching what what is what is it what am i meant to learn from this there's always a teaching in every situation nothing is a punishment it's only to help us awaken you know mm-hmm. is it is it to, to help us realize that we can find peace and happiness in any situation in life uh uh i mean you, you there are some people who have who have terrible terrible illnesses and um, there was that physicist who just recently passed away. His name escapes me at the moment, who who had Lou Gehrig's disease, and he was one of the great minds of our time, and was a great contributor to science. So, you know, in any situation, people can overcome any challenge, and so mm-hmm. the the the, cha- the the thing is to try to awaken uh, your resolve and your. Um, commit your strengths so that you can overcome whatever challenge and that will in itself be a great boon for the future for one's personal future if you can overcome that challenge so we change our circumstances but we are responsible for our attitude we we can change our attitude so true i know you talk a little bit about your global peace initiative of women are there any other things that relates to that that you would like us to know about well, we've been working in all parts of the world and, and now in the U.S. around this theme of human unity and that in order to, in order to move forward as a, as a global civilization, we have to uh, uh, bring more love and compassion into the world and function more as a family. Uh, mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that we have to get involved in everybody's business. Families shouldn't do that. Right. But, but we, have to, we have to be a more inclusive society. And realizing that we have to, you know, it's like if the if one arm doesn't work, the whole body's off. You know, even if you break a finger, the whole body's off. All parts have to be working together. And the same is true environmentally, that we we have to um, see the environment as part of our extended body. If it's not functioning, we're we're self-destructing. We're hurting ourselves. So it's understanding this interconnection, you know, between humans and between all all of life on this planet. Really understanding it and adjusting our behavior according to that principle. That's our work, and we do it through dialogues mostly. We create about six, seven dialogues a year, different parts of the country, um, focusing now a lot on young people so that they can um, help guide us uh, toward a different future. Very, very interesting. As we close the show, since our show is about people, family, and living life, 
what would you like to share as a recipe for living with our listeners this morning? There's two points. One is to to develop a practice of reflecting on one's life, to see um, where you're behaving in a way that you'd rather not behave, and 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 just to develop a more kind of mindful and re- reflective uh, practice. And the second is to try to awaken the love that's that's in us all so that we can bring this more into the world, in our relationships, in our work, in our relationship with the natural world. And that's what I've learned by looking at the past, is seeing how healing this power of love can be communally for all of us. Um, if each one of us bring a little bit more love into, into the world, um, it will be a different place. Fantastic. Dina, thank you for the great recipe for living and for spending this hour with me on From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all listeners, please join me next Tuesday morning, June 19th. My guest will be Stefania Magason. She's the founder of the Blue Heron Foundation, one of the largest nonprofit organizations in the Romanian diaspora. To date, the organization has raised more than $2 million and has awarded over 300 college scholarships and has touched the lives of more than 2,900 children. Stefania and I will be having a conversation about her journey as an immigrant, her search for spiritual growth, and her recently released book, Searching for the White Magician, a dialogue with Carmen Ferran on manifestation of destiny. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to fmnktalkradio.com. Thank you for listening and have a blessed week. Dana, it has been a true pleasure. Thank you again, and have a blessed day. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. It's more than a word. It's an underlying principle of success and humanity. In the U.S. Army, respect is one of our foundation values. It's the reason we can overcome every obstacle and defeat every foe. So if you're interested in joining a team where respect is earned every day, consider joining our team. And now in addition to earning respect, you may qualify to earn up to $40,000 in bonuses. To find out more, go to GoArmy.com forward slash bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. Hey you, with a rhinestone dog collar. Between us dogs, I just convinced my human to upgrade to a new home with a 1,200 square foot bathroom. I think she called it a yard. With Wells Fargo's 3% down mortgage option, my human realized a new home was within reach. And I only gave her puppy eyes once. Get your human to talk to a mortgage consultant or learn more at wellsfargo.com slash woof. Wells Fargo Home Mortgage. Down payments as low as 3% on a fixed rate loan require mortgage insurance. Ask a home mortgage consultant about loan requirements. Wells Fargo Home Mortgage is a division of Wells Fargo Bank N.A. Equal housing lender. NMLS R.I.D. 39981.